Hey there, Professor Bins. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Stephen. Stephen, is Professor Bins that one from um, the Harry Potter series? That's right. The ghost. Okay. Why are you Professor Bins? It's worth mentioning that when we get on the call to record, we usually chat for three to five minutes before starting. And I always forget which name I have. So when you call me the wrong name, it's it's it makes me chuckle. Um, okay. So this lecture wasn't as dry and boring as Professor Binz's famously were. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's fresh, original content. It's delivered with passion and to an enthusiastic audience. But it felt a little, you know, it, if this is the kind of, oh, you thought Harry's lectures were, were too long. Well, buckle up. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, but that, that was that was my my thought. It was. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was a slog for me, too, and I actually do feel like I learned some things, but I think at the end of the podcast, we should have a quick discussion about this thing. Sounds good. Well, oh, which uh, podcast it is, by the way. This is It Makes Sense If You Understand Decision Theory. This is where you and I sit down to talk about Kelsey Piper and Eliezer Gutkowski's Glowfic called uh, yes. Project Lawful. Yeah. Uh, you can support us on our Patreon. We kick back 15% to them. We appreciate the support a lot. And if you don't want to do that, then just tell other people about the podcast that you think would be interested in it, of course. Like, don't share it with your grandparents who don't know anything about decision theory and don't particularly care. But if you know someone who would in, uh, enjoy this, let them know. Yes. Tell your friends. All righty. Uh, with that, shall we jump into jump? Yes. Jump into feedback. Yes, I have a uh, feedback from myself to everybody, which is I'm going to be out next week. That's right. We're gonna we're so we're gonna miss a week. It would be not literally impossible to get it out, but it would be a huge pain in the ass. And the whole point of taking vacation is to avoid those. So, yeah. sorry, everybody. See you in two weeks instead of one. Every now and then, we're gonna miss an episode on purpose, and you know that makes sense if you understand decision theory. It sure does. Uh, I have a piece of feedback for myself as well. As long as we're doing that, nice. Just the thing I saw on Twitter reminded me that I guess we have a cringe reflex. Uh, this particular thing said if a king or rich person made a social mistake, it wasn't likely to get them killed or affect the number of kids they could have. The same cannot be said for someone at the bottom of the social hierarchy, which has it does make a lot of people very aware of social status and have instinctive bad reactions if social status is being violated in a way that might get their heads cut off, which... Uh, I've always thought I had left way behind me. I'm very much for the killing of kings, but uh, I guess I still feel it somewhat when it comes to gods. And that was really triggered for me by Carissa's prayer to her god. <laughs> and then immediately after, when Keltham was just dissing on the gods and not showing the proper respect, I was like, hey, ah, I don't like this character. And um, I know why. And I wish I didn't have that instinct and, and that reflex after that god awe had been triggered. But there it was. And I'm working to get over that because I am just a flawed monkey, too. Hey, you know, this is the kind of like self-reflective emotional intelligence we're talking about, like in the first or second episode. You know, what's fun is like that. That's some good writing. I think we read, you know, Chris's prayer was like week two, which was three weeks ago. It stuck with you all, you know, through this whole all, all this time, which is pretty cool. It's true. Yeah. All right, a few other bits of feedback, these time, this time from the audience rather than from us. Uh, Asmodeus is most commonly pronounced Asmodeus, Asmodeus. But just because it's most commonly pronounced Asmodeus, it doesn't necessarily have to be pronounced that way. Apparently, it's not uncommon to pronounce it like Amadeus, except with a Z, which is awesome, because then you can sing Rock Me Amadeus, except with Asmodeus. Hmm. I appreciate, and I will do my best, Asmodeus. All right. But Asmodeus is fine because then we got a song out of it, which is so much better. It's true. But I, I and the next one is going to be a, a pronunciation thing as well, which is great. But I'm probably going to get it wrong, not on purpose, but just because I suck. So <laughs> I'm bad. I'm bad at words, especially made up words. 
especially made up words that have two consonants next to each other without a vowel in the middle. Well, and like our lowercase l, capital I look the same. La-ril-a-tha. La-ril-a-tha. Oh, that's not so bad. It's not so bad, but I can't get that out of those letters. No, there's there's a lot of extra sounds between the L and the R. There's a whole yeah. extra phoneme there that isn't spelled. I'm a big fan just... of like spelling things the way that they should sound. Absolutely. That's why it's pronounced GIF. Uh, <laughs> yes. I wonder if maybe this is part of their devilry tricks, spelling their names in terrible ways to break our brains. Uh, Kelton didn't seem to mind, but then again, he didn't see her name spelled. So he probably just, uh, his opinion would do a 180 on her if he saw her name spelled. Like, oh, this is evil. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm just gonna go with real that's easy you know i call her l in my the first... notes yeah l's good too all right and finally we have one from oh man how do you pronounce this we, we need zomic. a pronunciation guide zumic okay saying that actually the sentence tell me that you haven't left out any obvious other tactics i could use works as a truth compelling question this was because in the last episode you said like you know she could just say those words because he told her to say those words without lying because she's just following his orders and i was like oh my god mind blown you're right but actually no because earlier Keltham had asked her, try telling me that your other shoe is worth 20,000 gold pieces, and she couldn't say the other shoe is worth 20,000 gold pieces, and could only say, you told me to say the other shoe is worth 20,000 gold pieces. Ah. Meaning that spell stops you from saying things that you know to be false. Was she under compulsion at that point? She was, yeah, that's while the spell was working. Okay, then, yeah, I'll take yours and uh, uh, Zomik's, Zumik, sorry, uh, word for it. Um, yes, I, I see your point. I think you're right. I was going to say it works as a truth-compelling question. I didn't see a question mark on his request to her, but it works as a truth-compelling uh, order. order. Even? Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, I you, that's that's a good point, and uh, cool. you are correct. And for that, you get plus two internet points. Yeah, at least. All right, shall we try to earn some, mine some points of the internet for ourselves by going into the content? Yeah. You know, I'm going to just think of the the truth spell that he, casts, that he can cast as uh, liar, liar, logic. Absolutely. All right. Which is probably how it's supposed to be thought of. And also a great movie. It was. I bet it stands up. I need to watch it again. I probably haven't seen it in 15 years. Yeah. Plus uh, plus the the lady in it just had that amazing voice. God, what's her name? I have no idea. All I remember is Jim Carrey and that he had a kid. Okay. Yeah. They, oh, they, they, the they. one with like the really uh, like a raspy, I don't want to say husky uh-huh. voice. But yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the divorcee that was suing her husband. Right. Yeah, God. Anyways, mutual agreement. <laughs> that was I. I don't know. I, I guess there was some parts of that movie that was like, ugh. But whatever. It was a great movie overall. Prenuptial agreements are examples of contracts, which is the focus of the beginning of this reading. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the devil walks in and. Keltham Caesar and immediately is like, okay, whoa, they do not go out of their way to avoid sexual super stimuli over here because that is the hottest humanoid that he's ever seen. And she's guessing, she's dressed in what he guesses to be the local equivalent of body armor and makes it look better than it would be legal in most cities outside of a shop of ill-advised consumer goods. So first of all, I love that they have a shop of ill-advised consumer goods. Obviously, Robin Hansen is active on, in Dothalon. But... <laughs> um. Their society has completely lost me now, and fuck that place. I ain't living there, because apparently you just can't be hot. It's literally illegal to be hot. Like, no, I- I'm out. And and hell is looking pretty good if we're looking at uh, the Contessa over here. Did you see 
There's an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine gifts her friend who never wears a bra. He, she gives her a bra. And then she's walking around wearing it as a top. And oh. <laughs> then I forget who's cool. driving, but Jerry and Kramer are in a car and they crash because they're staring at this lady in a bra walking down the street. Awesome. So if if there are people that hot on Dothalon, and if they were to dress scandalously enough that it poses a literal life a literal literal risk of life to people around them, yeah. I can understand wanting to to rein that in. You, nah, nah, there's people that hot on Earth. Eh, well, maybe they maybe they ha- maybe it'd be a moral crime for them to walk down the street while strutting it off, you know. But <laughs> I guess yeah, moral crimes are uh, we can't legislate against moral crimes, can we? <laughs> I read his uh, his like illegal uh, on Dothalon. I read it like as a joke. There's a subreddit I, I like called illegally small cats. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's probably it's so hard to tell what's a joke and what's not with Dothalon. Well, especially because, well, it, yeah, A, it's an alien planet, but also, like, we we don't really get, you know, we get the little facial pictures, which they all look the same to me, and I don't really think convey a lot of information. But, like, mm-hmm. we don't get, you know, he said with a glint of, you know, of glee in his eye or something. Like, we don't get yeah. descriptions of what their, of, of their state of, states of mind typically yeah. when they're talking. All right, well, if if that was a joke, then I'm totally moving back to Dothalon again, because that place is awesome in every other way, aside from the illegality of being hot, maybe. Plus, you could just, you know, rent an apartment across the street from the shop of ill-advised consumer goods. There's probably other things there that I wouldn't want to be near, though, like, I don't know, bazookas. I bet firing them is probably still illegal. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. Cool. Uh, And she speaks baseline, which I didn't think he really registered as like a this should freak me out kind of thing. But I think he's I mean, under the impression that, like, well, the gods are just aware of Dothalon. It's just not the other way around. I I mean, maybe she cast a, a spell as she was walking in on him that lets her understand his language. Like, he just, he seemed to roll with that really quick. You're right, though. He, like, he didn't even comment on it. I guess my first thought would be, like, oh, it was, like, a full mind read on him. But I guess, well, the, the, the people running around here can't mind read. She might be a whole other level, though. And she was mind reading him at the time. That's right. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I don't know if that'd but be my first know. thought. But uh, I'm waiting for him to realize that they've been reading his mind a whole ton. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they're pre-talking about this contract they want to work out. And he's talking about wanting to spread the good word of the, uh, the one true algorithm. And he says, it's hard for me to see the pathway by which people becoming saner would leave them worse off. As you may or may not already know, the law itself proclaims that should not happen amongst agents already law-abiding, but Galarian is still very baffling to me. And you know how there's that, you know, psychological pitfall here on Earth where with our muggle, with our mere human brains, that a little bit of rationality can hurt you? Yes. Uh, It seems like that's just not a thing that happens on Dothalon, or they quickly get past that from like ages six and a half to seven. That could be since they start training rationality like in the single digit number of years, maybe they get through all that while you're still being a kid and making, you know, dumb mistakes like trying to jump off a roof. And so you don't you don't ever get hurt by that uh, that little bit of rationality biting you. Yeah. But then I was thinking, uh, well, she uh, Contessa points out that there's the equivalent of like the Taliban trying to ruin shit at the world wound. And you can bet that they would take your, you know whatever advanced thinking techniques and employ them towards the worst possible ends. Yeah. So, uh, and not just the Taliban. These like, they seemed like people who, um, you know, the people who would are, are super depressed and would push the button to end the human species if they could, except 
in Galarian, there actually is such a button, and they're working on pushing it. Yeah, although they're they're doing it more than just out of you know a depression motivation. They're they seem just hell bent on hell bent on mm-hmm. destroying the world. Which you know, if you're if you're merely wanting to check out yourself, it seems like there's lots of avenues for doing that on Galarian. But uh, yes, now they want to they want to take everyone else with them. Yeah, she said. Didn't she say their minds were broken or something in some way? Which I interpreted as you know intense depression of the kind where you want to destroy the world because even the taliban doesn't want to destroy the world right they just want to destroy the west so they can keep living it, it takes someone with uh fully convinced that sentient life is net negative in all cases to want to end it yeah or like you know there's um the the religious factions that think that by bringing about armageddon you know we'll get the second coming and then you know peace everlasting right uh yeah okay so you don't i don't like i don't think it necessarily has to come from a, a place of sadness necessarily it just i think by broken this means maybe it just means you have to be kind of really dumb to want this but some people are that dumb it could be yeah yeah i had a thing i wanted to pull out here because I, I read it like three times and i don't know if i reading comprehension or if this was just meant to be super vague mm-hmm. but chris is thinking in reply to contessa saying that axiomites are found in lawful outer world Carissa thinks Axis. They're found in Axis. Perhaps even Contessa is unsure whether to make it clear to Keltham that everything about Keltham is found in Axis. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what the hell that means. My note says, uh, unsure what this means, circle back. <laughs> I regret deleting my permanote at the very bottom of the document that had been there for a couple episodes. The list of all the afterlives of the nine alignments were there, and the lawful neutral afterlife is named Axis. Everything about Keltham is found there. I guess she means like what makes up his psychology. Yeah. Okay. I but Keltham would immediately know that he's lawful neutral if he found out that everything about him is in the lawful neutral afterlife. Okay, that makes sense. I, I took it to mean like some deeper secret about him, but you know, Chris hasn't even thought that to the privacy of her own mind, so that didn't seem very likely. But okay, gotcha. Lawful neutral afterlife. <laughs> this is this is kind of a beat that she hits a few times, and I, I'm waiting for her to outgrow this and become just a full heretic. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, this is Carissa thinking again that someday she's going to die. And if she is extremely brilliant and extremely perfect, then someday after that, she'll get to be like that. And it'll all be worth the agony in between. Oh, that being Contessa. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my, my note was just gross. Oh, I thought that was really cool. That's that's awful. Like to think like, oh, God, I'm the, you know, I suck. I can't wait until I'm tortured into being broken down and shaped into a different person. I see what you're saying, and it does suck to have low self-esteem, but on the other hand, like, you kind of get the same thing if you, as the most basic example, I guess, if you join the military, oftentimes you show up kind of schlubby with your life not in great deal of order, and they break you down and remake you and form you into a more fit person, sometimes a more psychologically healthy and just generally able to do things in life person, and there's a lot of agony in between between getting, you know, from where you were and getting to be a cool new person, but it's worth it. I, I kind of like the, you know, going through a trial of hell if you have to in order to make yourself better. Like, fuck, that's even working out, right? Yeah, but I, I, that's not quite what's happening here, I think. That the whole point is that she knows that she's going to be erased, you know, and and just, like, sh- she's going to be removed. And there'll be, like, this, you know, echo of her left mm. that that's a new shape. I don't know. It, mm. it, and since it all does kind of you know stem from like she's what's fun is like she thinks that she could work towards that you know because keltham's like halfway there right and that kind of freaks her out so she's like the idea that i can actually get better here you know on the mortal plane is mind-blowing and and unsettling that's motivating because then you can actually do stuff it's not like i can't wait till i'm just you know whipped and ripped to pieces over and over until my mind is shattered and they can put it back together in the right shape 
Well, one of the plus sides of learning this stuff on the mortal plane is that you don't have to be tortured as much, right? Right. You're already closer to there. Yeah. But I actually think and, th- that's at least less gross than just looking forward to being ripped to pieces. Yeah. Well, I think she, it seems to me like she assumes there's going to be a her left, that she's not going to be, it seems like she still expects to have some continuity of consciousness through this process to where she would recognize the mortal Carissa as a precursor the same way we kind of recognize seven-year-old Inyash as a precursor to current Inyash, right? Yeah, she does talk like that. And I, I guess she talks about such a radical transformation that I I don't see it. But, you know, if I was told, yes, yeah, Stephen, we're going to level you up a hundred times over the course of the next thousand years. And by the end of it, you'll be a hundred times more of the person you are or something. I wouldn't be able to imagine that very well. But I'd be like, oh, okay, I can, I can guess I can get into that. Uh, I just wish it didn't hurt so much. And also, I don't know if she's being told the truth. I suspect she's not. You'd think in a whole society full of backstabbing Slytherins, you'd wonder if like, can I believe everything I'm told? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, maybe they, they have reasons to believe the gods don't lie or something. Well, at least the lawful gods appear to be constrained by some kind of uh, lawfality, lawfulness. Well, lawfulness sure. is a better word. Could, you know, to their understanding and definition of it. That's true. Maybe they don't lie except for very good reasons. Like they want these idiot muggles to to think that the afterlife will shape them into better, into better people. Mm, good point. Yeah, I don't know. We will have to see. But they do, uh, they do seem to be constrained by laws a fair bit because then they have a contract negotiation here. And Keltham originally proposes that any general information that he disseminates, uh, he gets gratuities for that, both monetary, if there's any monetary gratuities and social gratuities, and uh, he'll pass along a cut to them insofar as they help. And after a month, that information must be freely shared with all the other factions at the World Wound, unless it has info hazards. And then Contessa points out, first of all, World order is pretty precarious, and if that info is disruptive, it could literally collapse the world order. And also, as you said, there are cultists that are trying to destroy the world, and if this makes them more effective, that would be bad for the continued existence of the world. So eventually, uh, she talks him into um, a contract where he says, okay, after a year, all knowledge is passed on to the other lawful gods. Uh, So... So reducing who it's passed on to and increasing how long of a delay there is. He still gets credit, though. And also, Cheliax cannot hinder him if he wants to leave or do other things. Generally, a hands-off approach onto him. Uh, But the lawful gods can annul this contract or parts of it via unanimous vote. And Contessa agrees and they sign. Great summary. I want to add that the kind of credit he wanted was not merely financial I think he said at least a couple times he wants recognition. He wants the street cred. Let everyone know that it was Keltham of Dothalon that taught these yeah. people how to think. And he does specify of Dothalon a couple times. So that's pretty cool. Which is nice. Yeah. I mean, like no one here will ever go there or know anything. No one on Dothalon will know that he gave them, that he gave him, that Keltham gave them credit. Mm-hmm. But he's being nice even when no one noticed, even when there's no one around to, to check him, which is really cool. It is. He could just come in saying, no, I'm just a fucking genius. I invented all these <laughs> thoughts myself. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he's he's crediting his society. He could try to uther it. Right. <laughs> uh, he does, right before they sign, ha- ask, may I have your insurance that you did not write with intent to include terms, phrasings, or conditions which would be interpreted by any relevant entities in ways that would surprise me or have consequences favorable to yourself and unfavorable to myself, which you mostly expect me not to notice, hmm. i.e., can you assure me that there isn't genie tricks and devil logic in this stuff? And Carissa, not Carissa, the Contessa agrees to this, but she feels that this is the most egregiously joyless contract condition ever devised and devised by people with no sense of honorable competition. I thought that was great because that is absolutely a thing that devils would love and would feel like 
What what do you mean you're removing the the part of the game where we struggle over the ball? That's the whole point of the game, you know? Right. You're taking out all the fun of me being of like us trying to find ways to fuck each other over here, but okay, fine. Exactly. I guess yeah. I want what you have to offer more than I want the chance to mess with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how, you know, because I'm still waiting for it. Maybe it'll be Contessa who grabs that contract and, you know, literally eats it right in front of him and just, <laughs> just gives him the finger. But Kelton's thinking contracts are the shadows of the one irreplaceable algorithm and breaking them might get powerful supernatural beings angry at you for peeing on the algorithm. <laughs> All hail the algorithm. All hail. Uh, it's his deference is interesting. I mean, I think he knows that people can lie. But yeah, he, he has the same kind of quirk that Harry had. So like at the end, he says, sorry, just to check, because she says, you know, I didn't write anything or no. He asks, will you not write it in a way that'll fuck me over? She says, you bet. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, well, hold on loophole. Did you actually write the contract or did someone like possess you and do it? Because they weren't they weren't bound by your oath. And she's like, no, I wrote yeah. it. You're fine. Uh, but I don't know. Like people can just lie. Yeah. And I, you know, if. If they're going to say, well, that wasn't technically lying because someone else, you know, wrote the contract. I said I wouldn't write it in a way that would screw you over. Like that's also lying. Mm-hmm. And so, like, may- maybe it's like not that you know someone's not a liar unless they unequivocally break a promise. And then it's like, okay, now I know that you're an enemy and I can never trust you again. Yeah. But I-, I still maintain that doing some sleight of hand like that would count as unequivocally breaking the promise, even if it didn't violate the letter of the of the promise. It violates the intent. Absolutely. And I think he comes to that same conclusion as you do, because like right after that, he's like, oh, but all these other loopholes. And he's like, well, at that point, they're just lying to you and then you can't do anything about it anyway. So I guess, I don't know, he his brain just spat out another loophole immediately and he jumped on it. And then he was like, wait, no, never mind. That could do this forever. Yeah, I, I that might be that might be it. I just I remember that being a thing with Harry, too. And like totally. Dumbledore, you know, like, you know, let's yes. let's get you a very specific. Let me very specifically ask you to give your promise. And it's like, you betcha, but everyone just seems to operate under the assumption that no one would ever really lie if they were asked directly. You know what I just read a couple of weeks ago that the uh, Catholic monks, priests, bishops, uh, high ups in the Catholic church used to do, and this was like literally considered not lying by the the church. Uh, They could hold back words in their head. The example given was if a particularly annoying parishioner comes around and is like, hey, can I talk to the high priest? the the guy at the door can say i'm sorry he's not in and like that can be a literal lie because he actually is in but if he silently says in his head for you then that's true because he's not in for you so you're holding back words but it's still the truth you just didn't say the part that would make it true pretty sure jesus would have a word or two to say (laughs) about that kind of you know dishonesty yeah not if he's holding them back <laughs> yeah, I. It, I mean, lying isn't complicated. It's it's making someone believe something that's not. It's trying to make someone believe something that's not true. I I love that people are always trying to find loopholes like that in everything. I yeah, it's it's funny, and maybe uh, maybe Kelvin just thinks lawful beings are beings who claim to be lawful. He can't read this this devil's mind. Um, you know, maybe that they you know can't or won't lie because again, then you break all. Uh, reliability on your word in the future but i still maintain that you do that if you slip in some secret genie bullshit right mm-hmm. but especially after he specifically said hey no genie bullshit right yeah mm. yeah but on the plus side when she's leaving she says looks looks looking or she's looking forward to working with him in the future 
and this isn't how people in Dothalon talk, so he thinks that she's flirting with him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's always about boners on some level with this guy. But he's an 18-year-old guy, and I, I get it. Absolutely. This is apparently the most, you know, the hottest thing he's ever seen, which is mm-hmm. some, I think she's described as super tall with, uh, you know, leather-clad armor and wings. So, mm-hmm. you know, more power to him. It's. I thought it was um, interesting that he specifically thought she is beyond my station to flirt with. Like she, her time is more important, and I am not up to that level. So he just didn't. I was like, that's first time I've seen Kelton think those words. Was it just because she was tall and hot, or because it was that he saw people deferring to her? Uh, I don't even think it was that he saw people deferring to her. It was that she's literally the representative of the executive of Cheliax. He he said quite a few times, "Hey." While they're talking, uh, I know your time is valuable. Sorry for using it up. Uh, I'll try to be fast. And to the point where, like, the third time, I think it was the third time he said it, I was like, dude, you're wasting more time saying this than you need to. You just let it lie after the first time. But, uh, yeah, he, I think he just realized that her time is much more valuable than his time is right now. Eh, I think he had some blood flow misdirecting from his brain because what he has to offer is, is absolutely worth her time. If she had to drop everything she was doing for a week to work this out with him, it would likely yeah. still be the, the right call. I mean, I think this is just proof that even Keltham is not immune to status um, status behavior, status policing behavior, whatever it is. He, he was like, yep, she is so much higher status than me that I ain't even going to try to flirt with that. And apparently even Dothalanis don't have the, uh, you know, a solution to the problem that, you know, you've got enough blood for, you've got a brain and a dick and only enough blood to work one at a time. Yeah. So. But he, I mean, he, that's a hard problem of biology there. It is. He did pretty good, though. Uh, yeah. This this line, though. Tell me if you mm. read it any differently. When she leaves, he says, now there goes a female entity who actually acts like a sane person. Mm-hmm. And is he just saying, bitches be crazy, right, fellas? <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Um, I did not read it that way. I guess the, the fact that he specified female does make it readable that way, doesn't it? The, I mean, that's the only... That, that's, I don't know why else he'd specify it. If he's like, there goes the sanest person I've met so far. You yeah. know, that, that would be one thing. But I think because he's still like very aware of his boner and he's like, God damn, look at that female entity. And mm, she's so sane. I'm biting my <laughs> lip right now. I, I like your read on it. I just hope someone calls him out on it. And he's like, no, 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 bitches be sane. I'm sorry. I just meant that she's way saner than every, you know, everyone I've met so far. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Just I, I, oh. the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right, right, fellas. Am I right? It was great. Oh, uh, I'm going to back up just a step here. Uh, when they actually signed the contract, she yoinks out a feather from her wings and they sign with that. Uh, there's this note. History had been screened off and the best guess shared false historical world fiction that developed afterwards, which now that you think about it, if your history has been blocked off, obviously there'd be a huge industry of people like writing fiction, trying to imagine what the past would have been like. That is a really neat little detail. But anyways. We had um, that here on Earth, right up until we could, you know, get reliable history. That's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, we still kind of got it. Our history isn't that reliable in all places. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but the their best guess of the false history fiction doesn't include the best guess that people used to use feathers as pens. That is not a trope in Dathalon. <laughs> that was the coolest little detail because it, it just reminds me that reality has a surprising amount of detail just in its physical makeup and it's totally possible that one would never guess that uh that 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 feathers have that particular use if one didn't spend basically their entire life trying to use plants and animal parts as 
basic components to pretty much every device. And you just always got pieces of animals hanging around because you're always killing them, eating them, using them for skin or using them for clothing, whatever. You fuck around with the stuff and every now and then you're like, oh, look, feathers are really handy for holding a liquid and slowly dribbling it out. And uh, you just, I guess you wouldn't, you wouldn't just think of that by looking at a feather. You really have to fuck around with them for a while. And if you don't have them around to fuck around with, you don't find out. It's kind of fun because, yeah, if you if if humanity burst onto the scene, you know, with mechanical pencils and printer paper, right, mm. we would never have cause to even wonder what primitive tools can we use. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, that is a fun little world building d- detail. It's, it's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that again, just because it's like it implies a level of thoughtfulness through all of the implications of yeah. starting a society 100 years ago with all the stuff that we had 100 years ago. Or rather that they had 100 years ago, which is probably more than we had. I think we talked about this way early on, just like, here's a premise, now run with it to all the conclusions. And it's like, oh, of course, that would be a thing. But I certainly wouldn't have thought of that until it was pointed out. It just shows a depth of of thought with the world building. Absolutely. Is there any actual fiction that takes place in Dothalon? Because I'm curious. <laughs> I'm sure there is, because I have heard about it on the Discord server, people talking about other Dothalani fiction. Okay, cool. Speaking of world building, we hear one of the Dothalani rules of acquisition. Try things the easy way first. If you succeed, you won't need to try them the difficult way. If you fail, you'll know the first part that makes it difficult instead of guessing that in advance. That is awesome. There's a handful of these little snippets that I'm going to pull out and use forever. Like, this is a great rule for really anything that you're trying out. Just yesterday, I was assigned a, a work task and my team lead was like, I think it will be harder than you're thinking. Try with this approach. And I was like, I think it'll work this way. And I I think I was right. I tried the easy way. It took 10 minutes rather than like half a day. And, nice. you know, look at that. It, it This basically works. So, but th- that's the sort of lesson that like can apply to just about everything. If there's a small thing you need doing around the house, like unless it's going to cost you more to repair it, then it will be just to try it yourself. Yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. And then if it's, if it's broken, well, then, you know, you would have had to pay to fix it anyway. So this way, you at least learned mm-hmm. that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's fun, like opening things up and seeing how they work and seeing if you can fix it. Totally. It's it's the fuck around part. Yep. Just because sometimes you find out. 100%. So we find out a little bit about Dothalani schooling. And mostly children learn from older children, which I, I again, this, sh- this is how things should be. Eliezer's making a strong bid to lure me back to Dathalon. Um, really hoping that that the can't be sexy thing was a joke because aside <laughs> from that, it's so perfect. And watchers, who I guess is their equivalent of teachers, uh, they uh, but you know mostly they stay around watching the kids and guiding them here and there. But watchers who specialize in teaching foundational subjects are those who are selected for being able to hold very basic truths in reverence. And that seemed really neat too. So I'd like it just. You know, it feels really cool. I like it. Yeah. I mean, kind of makes me wonder why we don't do that here. I guess it makes too much sense. And kids kind of suck. Uh, we'd have to um, like, like, we'd have to make kids suck less before we could let them teach other kids. Uh, I mean, that used to be how it worked up until the government enforced school, mandated schooling. I think a large part of it is because um, the government wants to in- inculcate a certain culture into its citizens and... I guess, you know, I can't blame the government for that. But on the other hand, I totally do. Fuck them. <laughs> well, I think, you know, on, on the the other side of that coin is it's not just, you know, instilling propaganda into every kid. It's also like, let's make sure they can actually all read. You know, if, if yeah, their family thinks but, that they don't need to, we we actually think they do. But it's an incredibly wasteful way to do that. And 90% plus of the time spent isn't anything useful 
in the ter- in the ways of like reading anyway. Oh yeah. No, I mean I think it's just like everything else that has too big of a bureaucracy behind it that it's never going to be as efficient as it should be. Uh, and I think it started said, though, out it that is, way. It is about 15 years longer than it needs to be, isn't it? So yeah. Well, I, from from what I heard, the original public schoolings were a few hours a day for three, four years, like five at the most. There wasn't this crazy shit that we have now. It just kept bloating over time. Yeah, I do. It's a whole thing. Yeah, terrible stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Dathalani rule of knowledge acquisition. I. I I, I like calling them rules of acquisition, but this one just felt so specific on knowledge, I had to change it to rule of knowledge acquisition. It's better to be wrong out loud than to be silent. Another great thing to have in our list. I agree. I, I'm not in a position often where I'm like um, talking to a group of people or something, uh, but we are encouraged to do that at work, you know, give small presentations on whether it's work related or not, you know, some random stuff sometimes. Uh, I will, I'll make that a thing at the top of the lecture if I ever give one of these, which is, uh, no, yeah, anyone has any ideas, speak up again. I'll make it a bullet point. It's better to be wrong out loud than to be silent. God, I wish that was a thing in school. It was the exact was, opposite say, in school. Mm-hmm. I was told, down to, I was told to sit down and shut the fuck up so many times as a kid. Yeah. 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 Because they're trying to cram an entire day's lesson through 30 kids in number of hours and they don't have time to actually teach you stuff. That actually ties into the next thing I, I pulled out, which was that his audience is very attentive. Uh, mm-hmm. Childish schools emphasize not being disruptive or wasting time of the best students by being one of the worst ones. So no one had any questions. The way that our public schools do it, which is teaching at the speed of the slowest kid in the class, is suboptimal. It is. But the cellist approach seems too harsh in the other direction. Yeah. If you've got a question, shut the fuck up. Plus, if that's the you know the norm, then maybe you don't even know if the smartest kid in the class gets it. Mm-hmm. They're just also told to shut up or they're, they're mm-hmm. trained to shut up rather. So yeah, disagree on that approach. There, there's a, there's a, a medium. There's there a happy somewhere. medium. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So he's, as he's opening up his, his lecture, which is kind of fun. Like, you know, it didn't say there was no lead up to it. Like it wasn't, all right, tomorrow morning, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put together a lesson plan and we'll start tomorrow morning. It was just like, he was going to go to the library and then Contessa comes and then he's like, well, I got people here. Let's just, let's start right now. But I, I loved this. It says, uh, even when you truly expect and anticipate that something will happen to you, sometimes something else happens to you instead. Beliefs <laughs> are the names given are the, is, are the name given to those things that control your ex- anticipations. That which gives you your actual experiences is termed reality. Mm. And I loved that fresh metaphor for map and territory. You know, it's not like uh, it has to be the case that the people in the room know the difference between beliefs and stuff that actually is. Mm-hmm. But it's important that he solidify the difference. Well, I guess it's not nece- necessary that they understand the difference. A lot of there's the whole thing to dig in there. Like people view their beliefs as part of reality. Most people don't see the difference between like a policy proposal or something, right? That this works versus I think this works. Right. Yeah. He's saying no. There, sometimes you can be surprised. The thing that surprises you is, is reality. The thing that was surprised was your belief. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it's just a really cool uh, different way to phrase it. It is fantastic. I'm going to try to keep remembering that one too. Yeah, it's solid. He goes into the lecture and it's an entire lecture on the concept of validity, which he writes with a capital letter V. We don't actually learn that's what it is until halfway through or so, but it's good-ish. It's um, it's a lecture. I like that it opened <laughs> with a content warning. Yes. You know, that was cool. A lot of stuff will be like, hey, this chapter is, you know, it, it has some, something terrible, sexual violence or dog getting killed or whatever. Uh, this one says content mm. warning math. 
I'm glad I wasn't blindsided. I've pulled a few things, just notes of what they talk about. We'll summarize however you feel like. All right. Well, he starts out saying that reality is full of hidden order and their own bewilderment is the map of the world. The territory is often full of hidden order. I liked the distinction between hidden order and like the non-hidden order, the apparent order. You know, there are rules behind why things are the way they are. And that, that's the key to power, right? Yeah. If you can find out those rules, all of a sudden you kind of unlock a whole new level of what you can do in the world. This is the lecture that Harry would have given to Draco at the train station if he was even more condescending and had more time. <laughs> and and was a good 10 years older, probably. I don't know. He, he did a pretty good job for a 68-year-old kid, you know? <laughs> it was exactly the sort of lecture that I could follow in a fanfic. So I liked it a whole lot. This lecture was a lot more complicated and harder to get through. That's true. Good point. But you're right. This is this is very similar to what he would have said if he had a lot more words and was getting into far more rigorous detail. Granted, Keltham is here. Like Harry knew that the wizards that he was encountering, you know, were also on Earth. They had a very similar architecture to him. Keltham's dropped here on an alien planet, and he's starting from basically scratch. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that sound kind of like, yes, we're not six years old. He's like, okay, I just need to. That's a bedrock of what I'm going to talk about. So I need to make sure that I, I get that out there. Yeah. Yeah. He does warn them that keep in mind that being impressed with a theory of hidden order is not the same uh, fact as that hidden order actually being present in the territory. Basically warning people away from conspiracy theories and just wrong theories. Let me not become attached to beliefs that aren't true. Exactly. It's like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't have to be conspiracy theory. It'd be like, oh, man, this seems like this is such an elegant solution. This would totally work. And then, you know, you're motivated to think that way. And it's like, no, sometimes uh, that's not how it shakes out. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes Flagistan isn't around. Right. (laughs) Uh, He does a little inspiring thing where he talks about airplanes and what they are and that they work entirely without any sort of magic. He says, artifacts that exploit Dothalani-style hidden orders can be made without spellcasters. They are economically scalable, which is, you know, fucking huge because we know what it means when something is economically scalable. I'm not sure how sure they are, but they have a printing press. So they have some idea of what happens when you can scale something easily. And uh, that's fucking cool. I got my attention when he said that. Yeah. It's like Harry pointing to the landing on the moon. It's like we did yeah. that shit without magic. Landing let on let the me moon blow your mind though. really quick. Yes. I think that's a good way to kind of just flex. Like here, here's the power that I'm offering. Mm-hmm. Right. You guys can do this with magic. What if you guys want to, you know, if, if you can do this without magic, imagine what we can do when we synergize the two things. Yeah, and you know, just any old muggle can make an airplane. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which kind of puts me in mind actually of where this might be going in the long term. Because like the lecturing and like, let's start working on the world wound problem, I thought would take him past his second day here. You know, like how method rationality never really got the time to go into like, let's bring science to magic and Mm. make the world a better place. Yeah. I think that's what this story is going to be, have the time to do. Ooh, interesting. That That could be really fun. Yeah. Uh, he asked them as part of this step one is what things are true no matter what. Uh, and Carissa answers one equals one. Hmm. She says the way that we define equals the things on both sides of it are the same and things are the same as themselves. What does he call it? Necessary truths and empirical truths. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. So I guess he calls it straight up. I, I forgot that he used the word empirical. This is to flex my, uh, my nerdy knowledge of the the, the Latin phrasing, a priori and a posteriori knowledge, right? Ooh, stuff yeah. you can deduce from logic and stuff that you have to go out and look at. He's teaching them the difference. And 
asking her why one equals one and can you explain what that means and like how would you test that that was mm-hmm. even that caught me kind of flat-footed and i'm like shit i because one here it, and one here i <laughs> we spend a lot of this chapter inventing math basically going through the processes that invented math and i'm like wow i was not expecting this when i sat down to read this me either Although I do remember saying last week that if he doesn't talk to Contessa or the Queen by the end of the day, his day I won't count his day as a victory. Yeah. And he didn't even make it to lunch. So good for him. <laughs> yeah. So this is a cool thing to remember. To ask what a proposition means, we ask what you should see that's different depending on whether the proposition is true or false, which is a basic tenet of Bayesian reasoning. So good to remember, I guess. Um, it's kind of dumb. People aren't going to be taking notes as we're reading the podcast but hopefully this will be something that can be repeated a few times over over the next months and uh, we'll get hammered in or just you know remember the phrase make your beliefs pay rent oh yeah that's a good one too i mean this, that, this that is, is much a, easier to remember and this this is slightly different like this is more specific he's saying yeah. that this is what a proposition actually means not mm-hmm. like here's how to make here's how to make sure your belief actually is useful and means something or is worth worthwhile yeah doing anything for you sure yeah yeah so they go for a while. Uh, he says, okay, so imagine today, yesterday one plus one equaled, or one equaled one. Tomorrow it won't. What will you see tomorrow that's different from yesterday? And one of the things one of the girls throws out is like, you know what? Tomorrow it ca- won't just can't be true. Uh, and I, that that is the point where it struck me that, I mean, I knew this was happening sort of in the back of my head. But then I was like, oh, yeah, Eliezer and Kelsey are just talking back and forth towards each other. And they don't have this pre-planned out. It's sort of growing as they're doing it. And that's really cool. It feels like she's giving her best answers as, you know, as her models of these girls. And he's seizing on them and expounding. And it was, that part of it was pretty neat. And I was, you know, I was wondering how, how much she already knew what the correct answers were and how much to phrase things so that he could explain them at greater length. Yeah, I, um... I, I I had that thought in the back of my mind a lot too when I was reading this. And some of the like, you know, his replies, you know, because he's talking to people with no background of basic reasoning, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I felt kind of like it'd be hard for me to engage in this. Then again, it's fun. And that's the point. You know, they're playing characters. Um, yeah. But if I, was the, if I was on the receiving end of this, I'd feel condescended to. Ah, uh, okay. And, you know, it, but I think that's not how it's meant. So if maybe if I just, you know, sucked it up for 10 seconds i'd get over it um, <laughs> yeah but it, it's still uh um th- there were a lot of times where it's like oh that's the that's the that's at least a really good wrong answer uh mm-hmm. which i wouldn't mind hearing from a professor right um mm-hmm. but it, it somehow just seems like oh that kind of hurt my feelings but le- no no but but then you know it's like well at least it was the at least it was a good wrong answer but yeah. i think they never get anything right which is the um which would which would kind of you know hurt my ego a bit but in uh, kelsey's defense if they were playing this you know straight like with no planning of how this conversation was supposed to go uh this was a really weird lecture and presentation of stuff right so they basically got right or at least one of them basically got right how to do an or function without using um without using the word or oh that's good all right that was pretty impressive i skimmed some of the content uh warned content so Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't catch that, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, that was, that was neat. And I had to sit down and think about it. And I was like, oh yeah, that works. Cool. I don't know if I would have gotten that. Certainly not that fast. It would have taken me a whole afternoon of thinking. Anyways, uh, Keltham teaches that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, which they 
had a hard time grasping. I thought that was kind of interesting, like big, big cultural difference between us and them. And then he shows that standard proof that two equals one, the obviously not correct one. Uh, and Ottomans freaks the <laughs> heck out about it. And it's pretty damn hilarious. I think the, uh, if I remember correctly, the like all A or B, all B or C, therefore all A or C, I think that's called a modus ponens. I, I learned know. all I learned all this random crap when I bought a, uh, well, I got it for Christmas because I asked for it. When I was like 14, a series of philosophy lectures by Colin McGinn. Uh, so that, w- that was the kind of kid I was. Makes me sound, that was like the one smart thing I did. I wasn't yeah. full of smart stuff as a kid. But Modus ponens is definitely different though. I think that's the transitive property. Modus tol. Oh, there's a Tolens one too. That might be different. But okay, yeah, uh, fair enough. Then I. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then. See, told you. Told you I wasn't smart. Um, <laughs> You're smart enough. Yeah, smart enough to 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 use some pretentious language. Um, All right. Atolmans. Atolmans is watching this classroom so hard right now. The mortal life better not be going anywhere weird with this. Physics disasters are bad, but math disasters are so much worse. Uh huh. <laughs> I love it. Um, I liked this too. Uh, Ottomans isn't sure for obvious reasons of resulting inconsistency, but she suspects that she internally uses ordinal induction up to epsilon zero. They'd have to boot up metal meta Ottomans to fix her. Uh. Is that, you think that's a standard phrasing if you're a God, or do you think that like, uh, that, that this is supposed to be like, Oh, they're, they're AIs like quite literally. I, they could be literally AIs. They might just be like very AI-like creatures that also get booted up or something, but without being literally running on a computer. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a clue. Well, it's it's something. We'll keep an eye on it. I mean, she certainly has a very like identifiable utility function, mm-hmm. which is the other kind of thing I would like imagine from a uh, you know a, an AI, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that she can. She can get broken and then fixed by being booted up again from Meta Almonds. Definitely points in that direction. Yeah, totally. And it was it was intriguing. And that thing where like she started freaking out because uh, math disasters are terrible. And then she's she's later on saying like she's scared he's, that um, Kelpham is going to break math via a proof. Like this strongly implies that it's possible to break math in their world. And it's possible to do so via a proof like this. What the hell is going on in their world? Unless Ottomans has a very wrong uh, model of reality, which I don't expect to be true. Something funky's going down. Yeah, I get why she's nervous, right? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of fun that she can't like see the error in the math herself, um, mm. which is. Well, no, she sees it for that one. She says this is obviously an invalid one, but I'm worried that he's going to find a valid one. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's right. I guess. Uh, she, oh, so that, that's why she calls in um, that other guy. Uh, I forget the other god's name, but it was the one that used to be a human. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, hey, can you double check that he's not going anywhere insane with this? Um, mm-hmm. I like that because I think it said that uh, he had never received what Iori or Irori had never received an emergency message from her that was actually serious. Yeah. But he do- diligently follows up immediately anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we, f- we find out that she's designed to check the mass of all the electrons in a room to make sure none of them have the wrong mass which first of all huge amounts of power if you can check the mass of all the electrons in a room but also electrons can have the wrong mass in their universe uh, this is another one of those what the hell is going on with their universe things I remember reading that and I think it was like 
not that she was designed to do that, but that, uh, well, so designed also implies, you know, created, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that she could, like, it was the kind of thing that, that you know, she's that kind of intelligent or whatever, or that mm-hmm. kind of power. But you're right, to mm-hmm. make it that specific, like, why would you check something that could never be false? Well, you're right. If if stuff's weird. Um, yeah, I weird physics, man. So I'm looking forward to this. I wonder if any of electrons like it could it could just be that she's super careful because if one did have the wrong mass, it would be a bad situation, right? <laughs> that would be a big deal. And so she checks all the time just to be just to be careful, but it's never panned out. Huh, okay. Because if they're constantly just taking a sampling of electrons. Yeah. Well, you know, but that sampling might not be enough. So you got to go back and keep checking, right? Right. Just yeah. to be sure. Or the ones you checked before might have changed. So uh, it sounds exhausting. Sounds stressful. But yeah. yeah. Well, she seems stressed no a lot, she's... right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. But I only I, I, I mentioned that because uh, um, if if there are electrons with the wrong mass occasionally running around, it's going to make his science projects a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's just her being super careful, or if it's because this is the sort, of, the sort of thing that happens a couple times a week. I'm looking forward to finding out. Uh, me too. So he goes back to his lecture on validity and says that the tactics of algebra are meant to preserve truth, not create it from scratch. If an equation starts out true, a tactic in algebra should not produce a false equation from that true equation. And this way of thinking holds even if the elements of the equation refer to things in the outside world, which was, you know, way to blow the girls' minds. Pretty damn cool. <laughs> they they do have their minds blown. They're like, what part of law is habits of mind? So you only reason in truth-preserving ways? And yeah, it is. And that's pretty cool. And later on, they, uh, they talk about books about that too. But also, the while he's doing this, he... Uh, points out that there's like two girls in a red chair and two girls in a brown chair. And when I first read that, I read it as two girls in red chairs and three girls in brown chairs. But no, there's a red chair that has two girls and a brown chair that has three girls. And I think it's adorable that they're still sitting multiples to a chair. It's funny because even when you read it, I I interpreted it the way that you first read it. Mm. And then you had to spell it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're crowding furniture for some reason. Because uh, it's adorable. I guess. Be annoying the aesthetics take, trying is to take good notes on a spot, you know, trying to take notes while you're like crowded three to an armchair. But maybe they have magic that makes it easier. Fingers crossed. Or just really big chairs. Yeah. Or just, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Everyone. Oh, this was a cool thing that and really neat sentiment that I liked. He says, everyone here has bits and pieces of them that imperfectly echo the shard of law about which conclusions follow from which premises. So kind of like the power was within you all along thing, except not cheesy, cool instead. we all have little bits of that law inside us that's true i love it yeah uh they quick word on info hazards it said that there's a concept of info hazards in kelpham's world things you're not supposed to learn presumably presumably because you're only human and can't properly have the kind of mind that entertains that fact in a way that allows for continued useful functioning Uh, so if you think about that your mind doesn't continue working in a useful way the there was speculation when we talked about the info hazard that he saw in the book and closed and put away that it was like depictions of torture or something. I still don't think torture qualifies as an info hazard given this information. No, I agree. Um, or depictions of torture, rather. Actual torture would definitely yeah, fuck your brain up. Yeah, less of an info hazard, more of just a, you know, brain damage. But yeah, um, because you're the only human, because you're only human and you can't properly have the kind of mind that entertains the fact in a way that allows for continued useful functioning. So I'm having difficulty thinking of something like that. Um, I mean, sometimes you hear about the tortures that they did in the medieval times, and it's like, I wish I hadn't heard that, 
that's awful, but it's never to the point of now my brain doesn't function as well as it used to because I know that about humans. You know what might actually hurt my brain, like my brain's ability for continued useful functioning if I visited a whatever Galarian and I was skimming Mm. through a book. Mm. If I came across a page with like, you know, some description of some horribly monstrous magical spider. Really? Because then, you know, especially if it was like under the caption of this terrifying picture, it's like these things can walk through walls. And uh, like, so Uh then it would, it would hurt my ability to usefully function because I'd be a constant, like not constantly, but in the back of my mind, I'd have my eye on every wall all the time wondering if one of these monsters is coming through the wall, right? I would assume that they don't regularly do that because the people around me aren't always on edge about monsters coming through walls. Yeah, but the people here are all insane. (laughs) Well, hopefully they're at least self-preserving. Otherwise, they wouldn't be around. They're all desperate to go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, until I have some baseline of how sane these people are, I'd I'd be terrified. You know, like, I don't know. Who knows, right? Yeah. But I I understand that's the kind of thing if I quickly imagine one off the top of my head, but... I'll see if I can, I was going to say, I'll see if I can think of one, but maybe I'm better off not imagining one from scratch. Always the case with info hazards. I guess. It's no fun. <laughs> I know. Uh, that Part of the definition of info hazards is that they're not fun, though. That's true. Uh, this is the part where the girls are like, wait, you think in a lawful country, all the books should only use truth preserving arguments? Hmm. And they're like really dumbfounded by this. Uh, Kelton thinks that uh, books, sorry. The the books themselves, the books think humans aren't doing reasoning well enough to be persuaded by argument. I kind of feel like we actually get a lot of this in our world, too, that people are just like, well, obviously humans wouldn't be persuaded by the truth. That's why we have to lie to them. I'm looking directly at the CDC, but, <laughs> but this happens in a lot of other places, too, right? Yeah, you know, we've become disenchanted for good reason of the news, you know, in the last few years. But like this is supposed to be like an informative book. You know, yeah. people write books with agendas or whatever, but like, I would hope that even like a popular science book by Paul Bloom or Richard Dawkins or whatever. Yeah, it's written because they want to talk about this thing that they found interesting, but it's not the same thing as like that one that we censored from last week or the week before um, and put yeah. up for uh, patrons, right? It's a different kind of thing. But yeah, it's funny that they find that kind of mind blowing, at least, you know, for nonfiction books, fiction books. Yeah, they're supposed to lie and just be fun, but you know, your nonfiction books are supposed to be informative. Wouldn't you know it? Do you think most Earth humans, like 2023 humans here on Earth, are persuadable through reasoning? Yes. Okay. I think that, like, people have blind spots on things that they're, you know, take a lot more effort or maybe no sufficient amount of effort that a human can put forward would change their mind. Mm-hmm. But, like, in general, oh, you should bring an umbrella. No, fuck you. I hate umbrellas. Well, it's raining and you've got an expensive <laughs> laptop in your backpack. Oh, yeah. Good point. You know, like, so just like the basics of of getting day to day, we all are persuadable by reason. I think that's part of the thing I love about the project of rationality. The general raising the sanity waterline project is a thing to try to make humans more persuadable by true arguments. Yeah. Which is valuable. Totally. All righty. So this was a thing that I only believed for a little while, not all the way through this reading. But when I first came across it, I was like, oh, hey, maybe Asmodeus isn't so bad after all. Carissa is thinking, minds should reason in truth-preserving ways. Someone a long time ago robbed humans of that, and Asmodeus is angry. I kind of like this, that, like, humans used to be super rational. They used to think in truth-preserving ways, 
and some fucker came around and shattered humanity, maybe like in a Tower of Babel style, style intervention, be like, oh, these guys are getting too powerful. Let's uh, let's destroy their ability to coordinate and to reason. And uh, Asmodeus is pissed about that and is trying to lift humanity back up to the heights that they were at before. And unfortunately, it takes, you know, a few centuries of torture and hell to get humanity there because it's so painful to become reasonable or because that's just the most effective way to do it or something. But uh, But he's still aiming to bring humans back to the place where they were so that would actually make him like a really good villain i I like villains like that with that sort of evil but actually good motivation or good but actually evil motivation whichever way it is uh we find out a little bit later in the reading that this is not the case so i was disenchanted that pretty quickly but for a little bit there i was like that would be awesome i i liked that and i remember reading that too but it it was like how would she know that well because that's what a church teaches Right. And yeah. and we're already seeing there are better ways to teach people to be more lawful than to torture them for centuries in hell. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, mm-hmm. it never struck as plausible for me, but it would be curious to see what it could mean for that kind of thing to have been the case. Maybe after you die, you can't be taught through regular reasoning anymore. So they have to do torture stuff. I don't know. But then they could just like give the clerics, you know, the ones who can talk with gods like, all right, here's how you do it. Here's the book you need. <laughs> We worked really hard and it was very expensive, but we managed to drop a an indestructible copy of the book of the algorithm here on your planet. Then again, well, maybe they did, and that's why Keltham's here. Th- that's literally what Carissa says. I'm just going to go ahead and jump that and pull it right up. Carissa says later on that it's a possibility that Asmodeus didn't know how to teach humans these things. He couldn't tell the clerics, these are the things you teach them to make them more lawful so there's less torture later. And he specifically somehow found or saw Dalthalon and was like, I want to copy this sort of thing. I can't see into their realm good enough. So he yoinked Keltham over in order to teach his people the way. So yeah, maybe Asmodeus is in fact trying to do the good thing. And it was like, I can save these people centuries of torture. I'm just going to bring Keltham over here and reward him with all the children he wants once he helps my people out. <laughs> I mean, that, that it's possible and cool. I just, he seemed surprised about the squirrel being here, right? He did, yes. So it can't, have, but it could have been someone else. Asmodeus is totally going to take credit for it, though. Oh, totally. (laughs) All right. uh, Real quick, the rule you can divide by non-zero quantities can be seen as a pure special case of you can multiply by any quantity because dividing both sides by two is the same as multiplying both sides by one half. (sighs) The reason you can't divide both sides by zero is that zero is the only non-continuous quantity which lacks an inverse. I was today years old when I learned this. I I really wish I would have learned it before because that is super cool. And I guess... Not technically useful, as as he says, like, just remembering the rule you can't divide by zero covers all of it and is easier to remember. But, man, that's neat. So because you can't inverse zero is why that's the case. Yeah. See, I I, I mean, that, that makes sense and I understand it. But the way that I always understood it before today was like, uh, you know, how many times can I put zero into something? Yeah. And the answer is, fuck you right? <laughs> yes. So that that was why, you know, you can't divide by zero and why anything times zero is zero. Um, but this is a, that I probably, you know, heard that in grade school or something. So this is a uh, more sophisticated way of putting that for sure. This way feels right on an aesthetic level more pretty. It does, doesn't which it? Which is why I like it more. Yeah. I mean, the, the way, I always kind of visualized mine, you know, like with, um, uh, you know, Chrissy uses the example of like hats and heads or something, right? Mm-hmm. and so like I, I i always but the cool thing about the my my previous envisioning of it is that i can i can visualize it and then realize that i can't visualize it with zero and that's why it doesn't work mm-hmm. but yeah this is a uh it's it's more elegant yeah exactly 
Um, so that reminds me, Chris was thinking uh, more things that suddenly make sense. Uh, what Starstone, what the Starstone does to you, why it cha- and that's the thing that turns you into God when you touch it. Uh, mm-hmm. Why it changes some people more than others. Godhood, even more than devilhood, would preserve you to the extent that you are worth preserving, to the extent that you have learned the process of reasoning. Iori ascended just by becoming perfect, and everyone writes that off as a strange one-off that only Iori could do, but in Dathalan, they teach it, um, which you can just feel it blowing her mind. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, I, I'm not sure if this specifically is heresy, but it feel, feels like she's fast-tracking straight there. Um mm-hmm. That if she's not in the, if she's not in the Inquisitioner's chair by the end of the week, then uh, oh, man. it's only because that they've escaped or something. <laughs> but it also sounds like the hurry up and become God thing is an actual option. It does because yeah. most people who touch it, they're like, "Nope, your brain is not fixable. We're going to just kill you instead because that's what this magic rock is programmed to do." But if it's like, "Oh yeah, you're you're already on the way. We can level you up, no problem." That said, I think it wouldn't take much work for uh, Keltham to either earn or borrow the money for a resurrection spell. Maybe the, the hang up will be that like if you're killed by this rock, you can't be resurrected. But if, if you can be, then there's no reason you shouldn't be trying it by the end of the week. But it won't work because reading the rest of the story from him as a god, I think, would be uninteresting. So no, maybe maybe parts of it, like maybe like the last part, the climax with him as a god. Right. I just mean like not not by the end of the week. You know, he's on no, day two. No. So, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be on day five or six where he he's like suddenly god. And then you've got the next 10,000 pages of him thinking and acting like a god i mean unless it's a very fast-paced foom style book and the whole thing happens in the course of a week but probably not the case if they're going to do industrialization moving atoms around takes a lot of time (laughs) yeah that's interesting though well i guess that's usually the the pace of these things isn't it the first period of time always takes a lot longer than the later acts and got a lot of world building and setting up to do exactly i do like now that you pulled it out that whole iori ascended just by becoming perfect and think about the Godstone. If it just like preserves you to the extent that you're worth preserving, maybe most people have all these clashing utility functions. And when they're all like upgraded to super perfection, they conflict with each other and they explode in, you know, a mass of contradictories or a mass of contradictions. But Iori was like, yeah, I am perfectly consistent. So when I touch it, I just become awesome and amazing and I don't explode myself. I think that that might be the mechanism by which it kills some people. I think you're right. If leveling you up, if, if turning all of your knobs to 100 broke you, then that's what then that's that's the that's why it you know some people die or most people die with this right probably it, possibly yeah well i mean it, it sounds plausible yeah yeah that is a subjective guess of mine right now it's it's also mine i like it so now we get into like deep math stuff uh where Keltham says forgive me if i write that down in dothalani shorthand to which i said thanks i hate it because <laughs> this shorthand is hard to read and I spent a lot of time rereading tags and sitting and ruminating and trying to figure them out on this. This was like the longest reading by far for me. And honestly, by the time I got done with it, um, I understood the the utility of the shorthand. I was like, now that I know what these words thing and they, they are not quite second nature, but they're easy to recognize. It does actually make things quicker and easier. And I'm glad I took the time to figure out what these symbols mean and kind of like grind them into my memory. But when you first look at it, I was like, why don't they just spell it out in words? Why all these stupid symbols that mean not an and and parentheses when, when you could just say not an and and implies? <laughs> and, and eventually I was like, okay, this does actually streamline things and make it easier to reason over them. But wow, like the not, not, not blue K, meaning it isn't wrong that K is not blue. 
I hate you so much. Don't don't do that to me. Yeah, the, I mean, this is you know why we have words, right? Yeah. Um, it it it's a shorthand for conveying a concept, and it's because writing it writing it out took thirty three hundred words or whatever the the trigger warning tag said, and mm-hmm. but he can spell it out with a few lines of gibberish. So um, yeah, I'm glad that you you know, took the time to do this, right? That was, all, that was my intention when I was told there'd be lectures and, you know, decision theory math and stuff, but it was a mm-hmm. busy week and I didn't read the math sections. I read the, like, what was cool. Did you read the, like the disclaimers at the top? Uh, no. What'd they say? They're bullet points that cover, uh, the, the key points. Oh shit. Here, here's the rule that this is teaching. Uh, and here's a key quote. Oh man, I'm going to go back and look at those bullet points then. Yeah. Interlude three syllogism. I, th- I, I think is the best one to start at. Uh, it summarizes the next 3,300 words in four bullet points, um, but it doesn't teach it to you. Oh, this is, I'm assuming this is a thing from, um, from Keiko's, from Keiko's, uh, reading specifically. Like, I don't think this is in the original. Oh, wow. Well, if that's the case, then wait, if he wrote that out. Okay. We gotta, we gotta figure out if that's the case. And if so, we gotta give him a medal. Um, that's damn straight. That's wild. That is amazing. But yeah, I, I, wow. Thank you, Keiko. You are awesome. I didn't even think to expand and look at those bullet points because I didn't realize you were going to be doing additional work. So fuck yeah, man. Uh, I, I think that that is one of the things we should discuss when we get to the, the end of this podcast. Agreed. Uh, yeah, but it, I did actually find the symbols useful eventually because at the very end, when we get to them, uh, creating ors without actually using the or function uh basically she ventures um the object is red and the object is blue is not true as a way of saying or uh and likewise not the object is red and not the object is blue is not true and it was first of all i I didn't like that she had that all in one line i thought it should have been two lines for readability but then um keltham goes on to criticize her for kind of that anyway so i felt vindicated in that case but the the fact that i could read it and that it was actually kind of simpler to read i thought was super cool and i really hope it stays with me i'm assuming that after i go to sleep and wake up uh 90 of this will have faded and i'll need to go review it just like being back in actual school but the fact that i have it for now makes me feel like i have gained a superpower i'm i'm stoked for you it's great yeah um they do talk um what was this if P implies Q, if P, God, so I, I don't even know entirely how to read this. P implies Q in parentheses, implies P in parentheses, implies P. I never got what that is supposed to be saying. Uh, as part of the, as part of the reading, we understand that this is not told to us by Keltham in the reading. It's not explained to the reader. So I don't feel terrible that I didn't get it because it wasn't like, spelled out to me but also keltham implies that this is a thing that should be pretty easy to intuit if you just think about logic for a bit and i never got what it was doing so i i feel at least as dumb as the girls that he was talking to i hope that i can make up for it with my adorable hotness uh i'll i'll give you a a pass on it because i didn't even read it so i okay you know like again that's not I, i wouldn't skip like story stuff but I was on a time crunch yeah. and, and I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of this. And yeah. I did just skim through the uh, um, projectlawful.com. It does not have that, that uh, content warning and breakdown and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, like 
we need to, I think this is absolutely worth sharing with, uh, with Kelsey and Eliezer and be like, this is, this is super handy to put on the real version of this. Mm. Um, I, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. So we got, yeah. Keiko, you amazing person. And Thank whoever you. else can do your effort. Yeah. If you're ever in Denver, like let us know, we'll go out, get you a beer or a dinner or whatever. hundred percent. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Cal, uh, Carissa, we find out is being a bad student in part because she is no longer in school and no longer feels with aching intense intensity that the entirety of her being as a poor person is her performance in school. <laughs> I very much feel her. I felt the same way during this lecture where I was like, oh, God, do I really want to do this? And I actually did force myself to sit down and do it. And like most things that you force yourself to sit down and do. Once you start getting rolling, you get into it again. So I, I actually did enjoy it by the end. But God, that initial activation energy was hard. And I just didn't want to for the longest time. To be clear, I plan to put an effort. I'll go back and actually read this because uh, I'll have nothing but downtime for a while in the next week. But yeah, I didn't do that this time. So nothing worth doing is easy, right? That's well, true. Not, that's not entirely. It's, it's, a nice, it's a nice thought. Some things worth doing are actually super easy. But mm. a lot of stuff that's worth doing isn't easy. And so I, I plan to to do this the right way. That is, yeah. That's one of my goals for reading the story. So. Um, you plan to put yourself through the fires of mental hell. Yeah, why not? Cool. It's the only way to come out yeah. stronger. I'll be perfect Ex- after. <laughs> uh, we get this really cool thing. He Keltham uh, Kel- asks, why bother making an entity that tends to think in terms of P is true or R is true instead of if P is false, then R is true? Why is a human mind, which includes your mind, designed so inelegantly? This was part of his whole, you can remove or statements entirely and just reduce them to other things and that since it has less statements is more elegant someone else says one of the girls i think or possibly carissa because humans were given free will and it was done very haphazardly and made us worse at reasoning like the gods Hmm. which gives us an insight that free will is not being bound by formal logic i think that's kind of cool possibly true in their world but also possibly true in our world hmm I mean, he has, he mentions at some point, he's like, I'll need, I'll need a bigger breakdown of this. And then I don't think he ever gets it because I, I put hype in my notes. And then I noticed that I didn't put, you know, hype satisfied. Um, yeah. our, our brains are inelegant because our ancestors were monkeys and you didn't need to have an elegant brain to have a lot of kids. Yeah. Like yeah. So there, there's an actual answer to this. And it's just not that like interesting. It's certainly not as interesting as like whatever God magic. I guess the, the earth answer and the Galarian answer are not the same answer. And that's really interesting. Well, that's, that's what their, their religious books explain. That's true. I'm, yes. I'm not trying to do like the whole, like Keltham saying these books are just full of assertions, but like th- this is the same sort of like, you know, fall from grace thing that we have in our religions. That's a darn good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and chalk this all up to their religious propaganda until we have compelling evidence to the contrary. Carissa does make it sound not as awesome as I was thinking it was because then she says it used to be that humans didn't make mistakes of reasoning, but also they didn't have their own goals, just the goals of the gods they served. It wasn't possible for humans to stop making mistakes of reasoning while being more than automata. Uh, So yeah, okay, I guess I'm not on board with Asmodeus's plan to turn humans back into automata again and we do probably need to kill all the gods as i have always <laughs> said so rock on back on the god killing train hell yeah choo choo motherfucker yeah but then we get uh basically what you said keltham hypothesizing that humans on galarian were copied from somewhere else probably Dathalon, uh and then were modified later to be automata because that was useful to the gods uh because he also says yeah the reason your brains are the way they are is because they are modeled at they're basically copies of 
Dathalani brains and we evolved from monkeys and monkeys, as you just said, did not have to be perfect reasoners to survive and to have kids. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a less uh, fun answer, maybe, but, you, you know, it pays more pays more rent and expected uh an expected experience yeah like you know where does where did the universe come from well you know the give a cool creation myth right those are fun mm-hmm. the the quick version of the big bang is not as fun um yeah it's a lot more fun to imagine gods battling it out and you know ripping the planet apart and that's why there's oceans and continents or something right it really is and it's like oh no it's just the middle of the planet's hot and stuff moves <laughs> really slow yeah. Um, it, you know by comparison that sounds boring <laughs> yes it's certainly less emotionally compelling yeah uh so he describes dna as part of his you know the reason your brains are broken is because you evolved a thing and the way did you get a chance to read how does he described dna yeah it was not the way i mean like harry explained it really well i think yeah with yeah. you know mixing blood and stuff i don't know why he took it all this this far here yeah, and talking about spirals with tons of little bits in them. And and he even, you know, talked about the four base pairs of DNA. Like, if I didn't already know what DNA was, I would not have been helped by reading that paragraph. Yeah, I think, like, there's a lot to do with just starting at the higher level. You know, mm-hmm. Mendel didn't understand. He didn't know what DNA was. He didn't need to. Yeah. You know, he, he could just explain heredi- heredity. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he could say there's a hidden truth behind this. Uh, that explains why it's working. But for now, here's here's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. It, like, I think I get the feeling that if I were to sit with that tag and I didn't already know what DNA was and just digest it and pour over it for, I don't know how long, hours, then I would get to what it was saying. But it would take a lot of work on my part. And I don't know. I don't know what exactly that says. Does that mean I'm a lazy fucker? Does it mean that Keltham is a bad teacher because teachers are supposed to make this like enjoyable and walk you through it and help you digest it as you go along? Um, but all that being said, we do already know what DNA is. Like Eliezer is writing aware that his audience is the reader and not the girls. So just jump dumping it all in a paragraph and being like, okay, now the girls know DNA the same way we need, we know DNA. Let's move on. I don't know. I, I guess that was fine it, it was good to have that shortcut so we don't have to sit there and get three chapters on how dna works as Keltham explains it to the girls the way that you would reasonably need to have it explained in the real world yeah i mean what's kind of fun is like uh he he does he goes on this long tangent because again he's it, this is a math lecture you know mm-hmm. you don't need dna for that but he's responding to a question from carissa and i just love checking the timestamps on these he wrote this whole thing in 20 minutes damn and so like if uh if it's not the best way to communicate how DNA works from, you know, ground zero, well, this is an off the cuff. Like that, that's part of what makes this fun and feels organic is like, this is an off the cuff lecture from the author as much as it is off the cuff from Keltham. That's a good point. So, I mean, if, if it's not like the, you know, we don't have to clap it on the back and say it was the best ever. We're going to say, yeah, I mean, given the time constraint and what, what they're doing here, it was, it was good. All things considered. Yeah, ideally he would write a sequence of posts over many months, but we don't got that kind of time. Right. Yeah. I do love like how you pointed out too. He links to less wrong posts. Yes. So he's like, all right, well, I can't actually, <laughs> I can't, I can't resist <laughs> just leaving this half-assed here, but I'm also not going to write it all out again. So. Yeah, that that was cool. He was like, and then Keltham explains this thing and just links to the rest long post. I followed it and I read it and I was like, oh, cool. I now understand this thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad that was in there. Awesome. Yeah. Neat historical fact. Uh, 
as he's explaining evolution to the girls, he says, if I was focusing this topic properly, I'd design, I'd sketch the design of the eyeball on the wall and show how it can develop in tiny changes, starting from a single light sensitive spot. I really love that because you remember the atheism wars and how creationists always have it a hard on for how evolution cannot explain the eye, right? What use is half an eye? <laughs> yes, exactly. Turns out huge amount of use. Like that was a thing they, they hammered on so hard at the beginning and actually incredibly useful and we know how it evolved and so now just having as a standard default example of how evolution works is like all right check out how the eye evolved that's lovely i I love that this is a thing that has happened in our world totally well the thing is like we it wasn't like that was unknown to science in the two in the early 2000s it was just not known to creationists but now it's so well disseminated that they can't pretend like that's a talking point anymore Exactly. The it's other awesome. thing is that evolution in reverse is not accurately simulated by grabbing an existing organ and cutting it in half, right? <laughs> exactly that, yes. If you didn't involve the eye, like, you know, one chunk of the finished product at a time. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, going to get through the next two things here quickly, I hope. Um, he says that your mind design accreted uh, through the process of evolution uh, accreted on the ability to think using and and the ability to think using or we are in teaching ourselves to reason using the sharper, simpler forms of logic, repurposing bits of our mind away from their original contexts and stripping off real functionality along the way. That last bit about stripping off real functionality as they're learning logic kind of sounds dangerous. Is the... Uh, it sounds like he's saying that becoming more rational past a certain point literally makes you a little less human. And I don't know, is this one of the reasons normies get creeped out by super rationalist or super autistic people? Not super autistic, like not mental asylum autistic, but on the spectrum? Uh, I mean, I get what you're gesturing at with that question. Um, <laughs> the I, I think stripping off real functionality along the way. I mean, I guess... It depends, like real functionality, like, um, you know, chasing down and eating food and constantly, you know, uh, chasing, you know, the the ever ending war against hunger, right? Um, Or using birth control or trusting your neighbors rather than, you know, distrusting and trying to kill and eat them. Uh, (laughs) You know, like the the stuff that we do differently than monkeys, um, but the stuff that we have impulses to do like monkeys. So maybe it does, but would I call any of that real functionality? Um, yeah, I don't know. It, that, that's a weird phrasing. It's an interesting question that what is it to be human and how much of that are we stripping off? I, I don't think that anything that we're doing to better our minds could be construed, I think correctly as like reducing what it means for us to be human. Hmm. Maybe I'm just being romantic about what it means, but you know, all the philosophers talk about how your reason is what makes you human. So the more of that you have, the more human you are. Sure, but they were really good at reasoning, so they had a strong motivation to say that. Sure, but, you know, I mean, is making whatever crude tools to whatever kill your prey with, is that innately human? Well, we've got guns now. Maybe. In fact, we've got supermarkets. Um, but we're yeah. not making tools when we go to the supermarket, though. We're what? We're not making tools when we go to the supermarket, though. No, that's my point. I was going to say we had guns, which is like still kind of making tools, but much less involved, mm-hmm. and we're not making them by hand. Uh, but yeah. we're doing even less if we just go to the store and buy food, which they all do anyway. Yeah. So like we're getting, you know, we're not, we're not chasing down our food and, and killing it, but I don't think that's essential. At least if we were going to like the bazaar, we would have to haggle for our food, which feels like you're still working for it. Wish I could haggle for my food. Groceries are expensive these days. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the majority of people would have 
I guess on average you'd get the same prices, but and and spend a lot more work doing it. But still, I don't know. What it would do is it would maybe favor the most annoying people who take up yes. the shopkeeper's time, right? Yeah. So I got nothing. I got nothing to do today but argue argue with you about the price of these eggs. So I cleared my I cleared my day for this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll get a uh, get more into this. The stripping off functionality does it make you less human as we progress in the story? Yeah, I will follow the conversation about this in the Discord if I can and see what people have to say about it because I'm curious. Yeah. Ooh, Keltham says, uh, if you don't know the right answer, make up a wrong one. Maybe you'll see why it's wrong and correct it. Uh, he doesn't identify this as a Datalani saying, so it's not a rule of acquisition properly, but I think we can make it one. I mean, it's similar to it's better to be wrong out loud than to be silent. Uh, but, it is. But this yes. has a uh, a practical bit to it, which is to yeah. say like, you know, if, it, if you're wrong, maybe you're wrong in a useful direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's cool. I like it. And then he says, trying something and failing is more impressive than not trying at all. Another great banger. <laughs> or the inverse, trying is the first step towards failure. Uh, <laughs> well, sure. I guess that too. I think, But failing many times is what you need to do to be successful at some things. Indeed. I think mine was a Homer Simpson quote. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, then he has that link to the sequence post, so he has, doesn't have to keep typing things out. Uh, then this is an interesting thing that comes up. Uh, when they're talking about what zero is and what numbers are, he says, somebody could make an illusion of an object representing zero, but not the successor of any object. Like, make an illusion of that, an object that represents zero and is not the, and is not the successor of another object. And just the phrasing of that, like, reminded me of the uncaused cause argument. Hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, shit, that's neat. Like, it's it's God. Zero is God. It's the the object that does not have a successor object that does not actually exist because non-existence is part of what defines it. And it doesn't actually have a personality or mean anything. But this is kind of like the mathematician's God. And I thought that was a neat brain thing that happened. Because I have God on the brain a lot, I guess. I would imagine that there's got to be a math book somewhere in there that says, you know, zero is like our God. Probably. Cause, no, because I mean, th- that fits so well. You know, yeah. it, it hits all those parallels. I like it. Yep. Uh, and then we find out that the number one is just a set of premises that actually existent things might obey. And I thought that was neat. I think that's the first time I've gotten a really good definition of a number. Just a set of premises that actual existing things might obey. Huh. Just to give me an example, you know, if I hold up like my phone, I have one of them. Mm-hmm. How is that a set of premises that actually exist and things might obey? Like that if I drop it, I won't have a phone anymore? Possibly. You certainly wouldn't have a phone in your hand anymore. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That that's This is the fun thing about, like, I think I, I've never been a mathematician and I haven't taken a math class in ages, but I occasionally listen to conversations with people like, um, is Max Tegmark one of the famous mathematicians? And there's yes. A, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that they talk about, you know, with, with math being like the foundation of the universe. Yeah. And so viewed a certain way, it totally is. Yeah. Uh, we get another rule of acquisition. Say out loud a wrong answer for it's easier to fill yourself with knowledge after you've explicitly noticed yourself not being already full. Then this was really neat. Another cool poetic thing. He says that these shards of law within us are not manifested in a centralized single engine whose voice we sometimes ignore. Rather, there are bits and pieces and shadows and correlates of validity with a capital V glommed onto us by mistake. <laughs> so yeah, this isn't unfortunately like hardwired into this. We're, we're, we're scraping all these pieces together. The other rule of acquisition, say out loud 
a wrong answer. It's easier to fill yourself with knowledge after you've explicitly noticed yourself not being already full. I will need to think about that and digest it a bit more because I guess saying it out loud is different than than thinking it to yourself mm-hmm. because at least then you can be corrected. That's true. Because if you give yourself just a wrong answer and run with it, well, then you think you're already full. I think the speaking it out loud and, and having it as a group is is part of the essential recipe. Totes. And I think he also meant it as kind of like a metaphor in actually explicitly think it and acknowledge it rather than just assume a wrong thing without thinking too much about it. I was thinking he was being straight up literal and saying like actually say it out loud. He is yeah. as well. Yeah, you, use your voice yeah. in front of your peers and make a yep. wrong guess. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this next thing, I think this is just a typo. I say read it and maybe we are both misreading it and there is some and someone will correct us and explain it in some fun way. Okay, well, he says, in the human version, it feels stranger to say that if I'm naked, that implies I'm wearing a shirt, is extremely true about me because I'm not naked and I'm wearing a shirt. The first sentence seems empirically false because being naked and wearing a shirt are opposites. And then the second statement seems necessarily false because he says it is extremely true and there's a not in there that wasn't in the first sentence. So I'm assuming what happened is that the first sentence should say, if I'm not naked, that implies I'm wearing a shirt and that the not was just dropped due to a typo. That's my take as well. And we talked about not including this, but I figured on the off chance that we're both misreading this and there's some secret math thing happening there. That's really cool. One of you guys will notice and correct us. Because we are not the best at math. We're just <laughs> slightly better than average. <laughs> Probably worse. Than, oh, I don't know. Worse than average. Certainly amongst our listenership, I'm worse than average. Yeah, but I was I was basing us on the human baseline, which is not that hard to be better than Fortunately, average. Fortunately, lo- a lot of parts of the world don't have schools. So I'm... Oh. I'm I, I, I can feel better that I'm better than the global average. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you're better than the U.S. average, too. Oh, that's thoughtful of you. You program computers. So you have to be better than the U.S. average. Eh, not at math. But all right, well, we'll belabor that later. <laughs> okay. This, what the fuck? He mentioned things that ha- are on Dothalon. The surreptitious head removers, the official government con artists, and the planetary emergency rehearsal festivals. That last one at least makes sense. Maybe there's sometimes there's planetary emergencies that you want to rehearse for so you'll be ready for them. But what are surreptitious head removers and what are they doing? Maybe they only cryopreserve heads. Why surreptitiously? I guess because a very blatant beheading is unsettling. It wouldn't be unsettling to Datalanis who, who all are signed up for cryo anyway. Yeah, there's something about the word surreptitious that isn't just like on the down low. It's like because it's not cool. I don't know why they're why they're cutting heads off in a not cool way, in a way that people know about. It doesn't seem like a very so. We're, we're, I'm, I'm missing some context. I hope they bring this up again. I'm I'm looking forward to finding these things out. These may just be uh, spaghetti incidents, but seem I, I would imagine Eliezer has something in his head for all of these. Oh, I think there's something for every noodle incident. There's there's always something that someone has. Well, there's probably something that someone has, right? Yeah, uh, and it's like, oh yeah, I could get into that, but I think I'll just tease you guys. Well, not necessarily. I think sometimes noodle incidents are just incidents. Why did I say spaghetti? Because spaghetti is full of noodles. Okay. I think for some, it's just like, yeah, this thing happened and you don't even bother elaborating it yourself either because it would take a lot of time and why bother? That's fair. But this is Dothalon we're talking about. Exactly. Uh, He has, again, a thing where he says human beings are not designed to work great when we push ourselves harder and harder in the direction of lawfulness. I mean, we're not designed at all. But I doubt it's something our distant ancestors bred themselves to be able to do safely, which again sounds like an an implication that rationality slash autism possibly bad for humans in, in terms of human mental health. 
I, 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 I know I'm not going to be the only person who pushes back on you equivocating those two things. Uh, uh, okay. Because they're different. They are. That is very true. And and they're, they're so distinct that I think that the overlapping here is, is uh, you know, just to be, you know, to, to run all the way. Like if you're, if you're super rational, you're Keltum and you could, you know, revolutionize a planet in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, if you're super autistic, you are crippled by sensory overload and you can't talk. Yes. Like they're, right. they, they have different, right. they're, they're, they're different kinds of things. I think what you mean is the like colloquial, uh, yeah. lighter version of it, which is to say, like, I think you used the word Aspie once. Yeah. Um, Aspie, super nerd, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I guess I just want to make sure that you're not actually equivocating the two. Uh, you're right. I will say Aspie from now on because that has different implications from straight up raging autism. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but I, I, I took that to, to mean that he's saying that, you know, trying like just and burning yourself out on this is not productive. Not that like we we don't do well. I think he's saying that when you push harder and harder, I, th- I think he's saying that like burnout is a thing. Not not that, you know, when we get there, we I think I think he's saying that. Okay. Uh, the slow, the slow and steady wins the race. Okay, I see what you're saying. But all right, maybe that that would be more likely to be true, but also would make it less of a cool eldritch horror story. And I'm all about the eldritch horror. So, but given that, <laughs> I'm voting like, for the latter. But given that he's trying to teach people to be smart, you know, saying that well, you know, the smarter you get, the worse you're actually going to be, and it doesn't work for you, and you know, it's it's bad. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like something that you you Casky would try to convince people of. No, but that's a common thing in like secret hidden knowledge stories where the secret hidden knowledge makes you incredibly powerful and you do a lot of great things, but it also shatters your sanity or makes you less human or something, right? Yeah, but he's here trying to spread the good word, right? If he thought he was harming all these people, he might might second guess. Harming is, you know, it's a loaded phrase because you can harm yourself when you jump in front of a bullet to save your child, but it was worth the cost. Yeah. I, and, you know, I guess even on, on Galarian, they have the whole, like, you know, hell sucks, but you come out great on the other side. Um, yeah. I I hope that's not what he's getting at, because I'd like to think that this is supposed to parallel, you know, the human endeavor of the Rationality Project. But mm-hmm. uh, if it's not, then, yeah, it's some, you know, there's going to be some crazy Lovecraftian turn at the end of this, right? Or partway through this, where we realize that, you know, this is all actually just awful and in a really fun way. Yeah we'll see well i have one final thing that i pulled out at the end here carissa says it seems odd to think that the keepers would be motivated by good by wanting to help people it seems like you could run something like that off the pure selfish want to be more perfect more like a god held to the standards of gods and okay when i say in that tone of voice i totally get what she's saying but (laughs) when i first read it i was not saying it in that tone of voice in my head i was thinking much more along the lines of you know, a lot of people would say that trying to emulate a god and become more godlike is just straight up good. There's even the what would Jesus do kind of thing, right? Where you like, you look at your god and you're like, what would my god do? I will try to do the same thing. So in that in that sense of the word, the keepers are being motivated by good because good is doing what your god would do. Yeah, goodness is, you know, equals equals godliness. Yeah. Um, I... So it was kind of fun because he he was like, all right, well, I'm going to, we got a break for lunch, but you know, I'll stick around for a few minutes if anyone has any questions. And he thought it'd be like content questions, but they ask about keepers. Yeah. And so, uh, it's, it was just kind of like a fun dive into like what that role was. And what's fun too is, 
again, putting back on like the, the zoom out hat of like how this is the zoom out lenses of how this is being written. Like this means that Kelsey was like, I'm curious about keepers. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, you know, Good you've point. been talking about them a little bit here and there, but dive into it a bit. Yeah, whenever he talks about them, he's like, these are the John Wick of rationality. And mm-hmm. someone kept talking about that. I'd be like, tell me more about this John Wick and how I can become like him, you know? Yeah. No, it's cool. Yeah. Especially if I was a teenager. <laughs> All right. I had a couple things that I pulled that were out of order, um, but they're fast and they don't really matter where they came from, like okay. in the in the lecture. So one is he talks about sport. They apparently have sports ball. Mm-hmm. which I thought, thought it was funny. They actually called it that. <laughs> it's pretty neat. I should have said that one for last just because that's a good, you know, chuckle. Yeah. Um, I thought this was kind of funny. This is like the, uh, some rationality can hurt you kind of thing. Carissa's mm-hmm. thinking that she, she needs some practice at compartmentalizing so she can do well in logic class and not be aware of the, vali- not be aware of the validity of her reasoning all the time while she's trying to catch flying balls. Uh, mm-hmm. well, it was the example he gave, but, uh, then it goes on to say, Keltham specifically warned you you shouldn't try using logic for that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that she's generalizing from like, he, he meant specifically like, you know, if, if you're, if there's a flying ball or a tiger or whatever, like don't sit there yeah. and grab a pen and paper, just do the thing. Um, yeah. But she's saying, oh, I need to get good at com- compartmentalizing so I can put on my logic cap when I go to school and take it off when I go back to pray. Oh, I'll, I think that actually would be a very handy skill for her in order to not get tortured oh i know the the oof isn't mm. that uh i mean it's not that she's doing it wrong because i mean she yeah she's kind she's doing it instrumentally right it's more just like oh yeah that makes sense because if, if she's gonna hang around this guy she actually does need to get good at that for her for her own survival oh man it's a damned good point yeah fingers crossed good pull out yeah and we'll see if it shakes out for her um mm-hmm. and i just liked you know the summary of the entire lecture is basically he he says uh validity probability utility Things being more or less likely, encountering new evidence and revising old beliefs, driving the consequences of what we already know, wanting things, making plans. Hmm. And I just made me think of Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way. Validity, probability, utility. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. It was a good, good summary. Yeah. And also tells us like what we're going to be probably getting more of, I'm assuming, because we got validity this time and I'm assuming we'll get probability and utility going forward. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I hope we get a break between lectures, but maybe actually not the way the story just said, we're going to break for lunch and come back. So, uh, I really fucking hope that we get some action instead of more lecture. Now we should have that talk that about that now, then let's do it. All right. So I, um, like the lecture thing was, it was a slog to get through. And like I said, by the time I got to the end of it, I felt better. I, I liked it more in retrospect than I liked going through it, but it makes me think like, What's like, what, what, what is the podcast going to focus on? Because all the other fiction that we've doing have been that we've done and talked about has been very much about narrative, right? And that that is generally how fiction goes. It is like the stories, the characters, what are they doing? What are their motivations? What's happening in the world? And this just took a really long break for theory on logic and math. And it was cool, but... Was it cool enough? I mean, I had more fun it's, listening to your summaries of the the stuff than I did skimming them. Yeah. Um, but do you I, think it would be worth it for me to continue to do that work and do the summaries of them? I mean, it won't be just it won't be just you in the future, to be clear. Well, sure. No, uh, no, no, that's that's fine. But I mean, like, maybe should we, I do that at all rather than just skimming and continuing on to and then they went and kicked somebody's butt? I, I think we might for, be skimming a us. lot if it's going to be just butt kicking, like if we're waiting for just like the 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 quote unquote exciting bits. 
Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's worth going through every thing that he teaches. Right. Uh, certainly if he's going to keep doing, you know, base principles kind of stuff. Oh, um, we summarized a lot this episode. We did. And I, frankly, we dug, a, we dug a lot more into his lecture than I thought we were going to. Um, okay. Which wasn't bad. It, like I said, it was, it was enjoyable um, with the uh, succinctness and like enthusiasm he put behind it. Um, mm. But it, you know, especially if there's more uh, whatever Delani shorthand or Dothalani shorthand, then uh, we're, we're not going to be able to read that on the air. And I don't think it'd be fun to say or listen to. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, there'll be some audience feedback that might inform our, our inclinations here, but I don't think it's the best use of our airtime to sit and summarize really stuff that, you know, if we're going to summarize it, we will read the like, you know, dope as hell um, excerpt at the top of the trigger warning, you know, or content warning math, right? Yeah. We can summarize it in a few bullet points and, you know, maybe pull out any cool, you know, bits that are in there, um, which I think is basically what we did. Uh, but I don't, I don't plan to try at, at base level to answer maybe where you're going with this. I don't want to use this podcast to try and teach decision theory the way the book is going to try and teach decision theory. Okay. You want to focus more on the, the things we actually read fiction for. And if other people want to read through and get that stuff as, as they're reading, then we let them do that, but not focus on it. I, that's, that's my leaning. I, I mean, I could be talked into going the other way with it, but I kind of figure like there, yeah. there aren't shortcuts with it. Right. Yeah. If there were shortcuts, you know, the, the, that could have been a one post thing saying, you know, Keltham described the basics of, of math and was surprised at the parts that, you know, they picked up easy and the parts that they struggled with. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been a description of what he talked about rather than the actual talk. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say that there's no, there's no shortcuts if you want to try and like learn this stuff. Right. Yeah. I, that's, hmm. you know what I, since we are producing this, we don't know what the experience of listening to the podcast is like. I would really like to hear from people in the discord or just even comments on the, uh, on the website. Was this, enjoyable would you like to hear more of this kind of breakdown of what his lecture is or would you like to stay to with things like character development and uh and theme and plot uh in which case we can very very quickly skim over these things without going nearly into much depth with them as into as much depth with them and then steven and me will talk about this some more taking people's feedback into account uh and if you're a patron your feedback counts for triple because Showing that you have something invested in this with actual money is actually a very, very valuable signal. Maybe we'll even put out like additional content for, for patrons or something, I, I guess. Ooh. Cause, well, because I'm, I'm thinking like I don't necessarily and that, again, I could be argued into uh, doing summaries of the lectures and ma- making that like the thrust of the content. Mm-hmm. But I guess I don't want to commit to doing that just because, you know, 80 percent of the patrons say that, that that's what they want. And it's like, well, fuck. I mean, I guess, you know, I want to give you guys what you're paying for. But I also just really don't want to do that but yeah. maybe you know this this wasn't not fun right it just yeah. I, I don't know if it's why people read books read if it's why people read fiction exactly i had a interesting time learning this i don't know if i would keep reading a book if that was the majority of the word count because like you said that's not why i read fiction i read fiction for the character and the plots and the themes I was given to understand from like the hints we got about what the story was going to be about was that this is the thrust of the content. I assume stuff happens. I hope anyway. Um, yeah. But if it's if it's to the ratio of you know one third of the story or even two thirds, I feel like that's not quite enough to. I, I want most of the story to be about stuff happening. 
Right, me too. But we'll see. Does that bring us to the end here? I think it does. Speaking of the patronage, real quick, we do have a Patreon. Uh, link in the show notes. Uh, link at our website. You can join it and give us money, and we are very happy about that happening. And for next time, we are reading section number six in Keiko's master file, master text. Yes. Um, and the part we are reading up to, if you aren't following that and are reading it somewhere else, is the tag that ends with nor indeed the same book same language same library same city same planet or same laws of physics as galarian hmm intriguing sentence i do love how a lot of these they make me eager to see what they could be talking about yeah me too again shout out to the people who are putting in the work guiding this for us because it's it's intriguing it's it's got me excited to keep keep uh, figuring out what's going on so cool which reminds me or reminds me to remind you the next episode will be in two weeks That's right. Yeah, so don't come back next week, everybody. Come back in two weeks. Sounds good. I'm a little